Hi, and welcome to the Willow Ridge Church Weekly Podcast. This is where you can find audio for our current and past sermons. We hope that you enjoy this week's installment, and be sure to check back next week to hear the latest message. Thanks for listening. Amen. Well, good morning. Glad that you guys are here. If you got your Bibles, open them up to Psalm 51 in John chapter 15. As you turn there, a couple of announcements uh, that I want to remind you of. First is tomorrow starts VBS for us as a church, and that's a big week for us as Willow Ridge Church as we come together focusing on our kids and on the families and celebrating who Jesus is and just the opportunity for us to do this together. Hopefully, you're just not realizing for the first time some different decorations that we have up around the building, right? And so, so there's been a lot of hard work, a lot of time, a lot of energy that have poured into this. Uh, Lisa Van Ham has stepped up to be our VBS director this year, and Lisa's done a wonderful job in leading out in that capacity. And it feels like every time uh, that we come up here to the church office, there's, there's some consistent people working, there's different people working. And so instead of trying to list all the people who have volunteered in order to make this happen, I just want to say thank you. If you've given a moment, a day, a week, a month, a season to help do this. Uh, we just want to say thank you for all that you've done. Now, if you're sitting here and you're thinking, well, we're not registered for VBS, well, there's still time, all right? We're Willow Ridge Church. We knew that you were going to wait to the last minute because that's how we roll, all right? So you can still register today in both buildings. There are places to register, and I believe you can go on our website as well and then do that. Now, after the service is over with, if you're a parent and your kids are going with me to Somersault, yep, you heard that, that's right. I'm coming out of youth pastor retirement and I'm going to youth camp. So pray for me, all right? Pray for me. It's gonna be a long, hot, wonderfully tired week, but pray for me in a couple weeks. We'll take off and go to Somersault, but after the service today, we will have a, a meeting with the parents where we got some important forms for you guys to fill out and give you some information. I promise we won't, we won't go too long with that. And then definitely last and definitely not least, the most wonderful surprise that I got as I was walking down, I looked over and Rick and Tina Nolan are sitting right here on the front row. And so if you don't know Rick and Tina Nolan, they're a part of Willow Ridge Church and they've been on the mission field in Greece for two years now, serving um, and, and working with uh, Afghan refugees. And so they are here with us now, and they're going to be worshiping with us some over the course as they transition into their next season of ministry. And so what we're going to do, so I know a lot of you have, have kept up with them, a lot of you have we shared, know what, what, what they've been doing and what God's been doing in their life. And so on July the 10th, I believe, I don't have my notes because we got that right. Is that right or am I wrong? Sometime in July, right? Yes, that is, that is a true statement. All right, sometime in July, we're gonna have a Sunday night where we're gonna gather together as a church family and just a wonderful time of refreshments and fellowship and Rick and Tina are gonna be able to share the story of all that God did and how God used them um, in, in Athens, Greece. And then they're gonna also be able to share with us what God is gonna be doing in their lives in this next phase or this next stage of ministry. And so we look forward to that time together, but we know a lot of you, you wanna spend some 
time, you want to take him out to dinner, you want to talk to him here on, on Sunday mornings, and that is absolutely wonderful. And what we want to do, though, as a congregation is, is support that and protect that, okay? Um, and so definitely, definitely talk to him, definitely love him, definitely do all of those things, but we also want to recognize that when we come here, we come here to worship, all right? And so if you've got the great questions and you want to hear what's happened in the last two years, maybe that's not a Sunday morning conversation, all right? Maybe we can wait until July and we can do that together. And so, but it is wonderful to see your faces and can't wait to hear all that God is doing. Well, we are going to continue on in our summer series as we look at the fruit of the Spirit. And so if you're wondering why you're in Psalm 51 and John 15, we're going to get there. We're going to get there at the end of the message, though. So just kind of hang tight. Maybe take a piece of paper, tear it off, put it there. Uh, for, for both of those, we will get to those. But as we get going, let's read Galatians 5, 22 through 23. Paul writes and says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control against such things. There is no law. And so we've been working through this. This is our third week of looking at the fruit of the Spirit. And, and week number one was an important week for us because we didn't just jump in and, and look at love. Instead, we took the introduction to this whole passage and the context. And what we found out was so vitally important if we're going to understand the fruit of the Spirit because Paul gives these phrases. He says, walk by the Spirit, live uh, or be led by the Spirit, and live by the Spirit. And, and we gave this imagery of it's the difference between running in a NASCAR event by behind the pace car, right, where you're cutting your tires and you're going your own way and you're trying to figure out how to get around and you're bobbing and weaving and doing all those things until the pace car gets off the track and then boom, you can go. That's not it. But it's more like a train track. We got those as we walk in. And it's the locomotive that's doing the work, that's pulling. And that's what, that's the Holy Spirit in our lives, that we're not determining our track we're not determining our speed. We're not determining where we're going. But instead, in the dependency of the leading of the Lord, we are walking by, we are living by, we are being led by the Spirit. So wherever he leads is where I go. Whatever he says is what I do. And that we also understand, and it's so important. Paul doesn't say, but the fruits of the Spirit. He says, no, it's singular. It's the fruit of the Spirit. That it's this entity of one within the body of a believer. Now, as you read through there, are there ones that you identify with that more so than others? Absolutely. Are there those that you're like, yeah, I think I've matured a little bit more in this character, in this aspect? Absolutely. But in this, in the, in the full description of the follower of Christ, that this is what it is, and it's the singular, it's the fruit of the Spirit. And then last week, we looked at love. And we looked at God's love, that God's love is our standard for love and that God's love is different than the love of this world. It's different than the love that we think of. It's different than the love that's portrayed. And so what we do is we don't take our definition of love and then put that onto, God, uh, onto people. Instead, we embody how God has loved us and then we are called to love others in that manner so that God is seen and that God is glorified so that we don't love each other in our ability, but we love one another in God's ability and we love one another, and we love others in the same way. And, and so this week, what we're going to look at is we're plugging along through. I had somebody tell me this morning, let me guess, joy. Yep, that's where we're at today, all right? So we're going to look at joy this morning. Now, oftentimes, and I, and I noticed this as I was studying this week, that when we think of joy, 
and we talk about biblical joy in the context of Scripture, there can be, and I think, an incorrect bent to discuss joy, but discuss it in the opposition of happiness. Like they're competing against one another. Like I'm watching right now, um, I'm, I'm big, I, I love the NBA. I know a lot of people don't like the NBA, right? I love the NBA and I love the Boston Celtics and the Boston Celtics in the NBA finals right now and they're playing the Golden State Warriors, okay? And so when I watch the game, it's Boston versus Golden State. All right? They're opposing one another. They want to defeat one another. And, and sometimes we can look at joy and happiness and apply that same standard, meaning they can't coexist or they shouldn't coexist. So I want to kind of talk about the differences a little bit. Number one, when we think of joy and happiness, let's do understand, and this is what we're going to pull from, joy and happiness are different. They're different. And you're largely going to see this as we talk about the depth of joy of what God has for us and what God desires from us. That joy and, and happiness are different. But the feeling of happiness is given to us by God and is used by God in our lives. Happiness is a feeling, though, that is bound to a set of time and can leave as quickly as it came and it can return as quickly as it left. Let me walk you through the worst morning I've had in a long, long time. We in the Bradbury house love coffee, right? If you know us, you know that we love coffee. And we used to, from time to time, run out of coffee. And then I found on Amazon, subscribe and save, that I can have delivered to my door for cheaper than I can buy it from the store, six bags of Starbucks coffee delivered to my house every month. And you may say, but that sounds like a lot of coffee to go through in six months. Don't judge me, all right? Like, <laughs> that's not what we're here for. So I know that I've always got coffee because I'll be honest with you, we go through about five bags in a month. So there's one that carries over just in case stuff gets crazy. All right. That's what we have it for. And so I come downstairs that morning and I'm not a morning person. I don't like to talk in the morning. I grunt, I shuffle, right? But I know what I have to do every morning. And the only part that excites me about waking up in the morning is coffee. And so I come down the stairs, and we got a little coffee. We're, we're, the, we're those people. We have the coffee area of our house, right? And just coffee is there. It's all the mugs and everything that we need and, and, and multiple coffee machines and the box of filters. And I go and I grab that box, and I pull it out, and I reach down in, and nothing. Nothing is in there. And I literally about have a meltdown. How in the world am I going to function over the course of the next several hours as I've got to get uh, Aaron and everything for her and the kids and everything for them and get them to school? And then I get happy. Because I remember right after I dropped the kids off from school, right down the road, there's a Starbucks, right? So I was happy because I'm going to get coffee. Then I'm sad because there's no coffee filter. Then I'm happy because there's coffee in my near future. 
So I get the kids, I'm, I'm persevering, right? I know what perseverance means now. I persevered for that hour and a half. And I got the kids loaded up and we took off and I dropped them off at school and it was y'all have a wonderful day and I head to Starbucks. Now, I'm on a time restraint because I got a meeting to get to. And I get to the Starbucks out by Lexington High School and I immediately think there must have been a wreck. There wasn't a wreck. It was the line to get coffee from Starbucks, all right? Now, if I'm getting coffee from Starbucks, I like two things in my coffee. Coffee bean, water, that's it. Anything else other than that is called a milkshake, all right? So that's what I get. Water, coffee bean, that's it. But what takes long are people who order milkshakes. So now, there's the determination, what do I do, and I'm sad. I can't make the, meet, the meeting. And so I get in line. And as God parted the Red Sea, <laughs> that line started going. And I got up there and said, I would like a Venti Pike's Place, please. And he said, I'm sorry, sir, <laughs> but we're out. And there was a pause. And then he said, but I can make some more. I'm like, yes, yes, that, that's, that's what we do. And so I'm happy again. And then I got my coffee, and then I'm happy, right? But when we look at that, that's how happiness can be in our life. Moment to moment, event to event. And, and I'll be honest, my, my, my story is silly. But when you look at the course of your day, you can have so many different things, so many different circumstances, so many different conversations, so many events that can happen in your life where you're walking in and everything's going good and your happiness is there and you're ready to tackle the day and then you sit down and have a difficult meeting and you're here. And then you're up here. And then you're up here. Right? You've been there. You've done that. You've, you've walked through that. But God gives us these feelings. God gives us happiness, and he, he gives us where we can have. Last night, I watched my daughter dance at her, at her spring performance. And I'm just sitting there watching the, the, the beauty of my little girl and the dancing that she's doing, and there is the happiness that's there. And I can't wait for her Christmas performance because I'll sit there, and I'll watch, and I'll experience it again. And then I'll wait for her next spring performance and I'll sit there and I'll watch it and I'll experience it again. But you know what? That feeling doesn't stay with me from now until then, right? And so happiness does have its moments where, where it goes. Uh, another thing I want you to understand about, about happiness is this. Don't feel less spiritual because you're happy. And don't feel less spiritual when you get sad. I think sometimes there can be this spiritual arrogance, right? Now, when someone's happy, people are like, well, they're not, they're not aware enough of the sin of the hurting of the world. I don't think that's true. I think maybe they're just having a moment where they're at their daughter's ballet performance and they're happy. They're at the moment where they've had a wonderful conversation with their spouse and they're, they're happy. At the same time, there's not a, you shouldn't think of yourself as less spiritual when you experience moments of sadness, right? 
We experience that. Hopefully it's not over petty things like coffee lines, like me. But we do, we experience the sadness of life. It's a, it's a part of the reality of experiencing loss and, and journeying through the difficulty of the day. But happiness and joy are different. And this morning, what I want us to look at is that when we look at biblical joy, what I believe in my study this week is we will find overwhelming evidence that connects joy to spiritual matters and matters of the faith. That when we talk about joy, there's a connectivity to our spiritual life with the Lord, our connection to our faith, our connection to salvation. And so I want us to look at those, and we're going to get some different passages, and then we're going to jump in, and we're going to tie it all together with Psalm 51 and John 15. So number, number one is this, that, that joy is experienced, what we see in Scripture, when the lost is found. When the lost is found. Now, raise your hand. Join me together. A little interaction this morning. Raise your hand if you've ever lost something. Raise your hand. Fantastic. We've all have lost something at some point in time. Now, raise your hand, and I'm going to leave mine up because this is me. All right, raise your hand if you are known for losing your keys. Raise your hand. Fantastic, fantastic. Yes, you are my people. I get you. I understand you. Nothing creates more, pa- no, more panic in my life than realizing that I've lost my keys. So what I did a couple years ago, my wife, who does not lose keys, I gave her one set of keys, and I said, keep these from me. All right? Don't let me know where they are because there's going to come a point in time where I'm going to need them. And if I entrust myself with them, I will lose them too. All right? This happened yesterday. All right? And so now I know when I get home, I've got to entrust her with those and I've got to search around the house and I've got to look for the key to my truck. And when I find it, it's going to bring me happiness. But what we see here in Scripture is Jesus tells a parable about something greater than finding a lost key. In Luke 15, Jesus is teaching through some parables, and he tells the parable of the lost coin. He says, and, or, or what woman having ten silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp and sweep the house and seek diligently until she finds it? So each silver coin was worth about $300. And when she found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the coin that I had lost. Verse 10, just so I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Joy is experienced when the lost is found. Jesus has seen a lot of sinners repent. We got a room filled with them. A lot of messed up, broken, jacked up sinners who have repented. She didn't lose all of her coins. But when the one is found, when the one, like maybe there's one, two, three, four, some in here. When they're found, joy, joy in heaven and perfection is expressed. I think we miss that sometimes. We miss that sometimes. Jesus doesn't get lost by the number of the masses. Jesus doesn't miss in the moment over the one who's there. And so joy is experienced. Joy is expressed when the lost is found. But but secondly, what we see about joy from Scripture is that God is the source 
of joy. We look for joy in a lot of places. We're going to talk about that in some depth in just a minute, but that's what we find ourselves doing sinfully a lot of times in our life. But here's what Paul writes in Romans 15, 13. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. And so God fills us. God fills us with joy from our faith. So as we walk through, as we see this, when we find what we're looking for and what we're searching for, for joy, we have to understand that God is the source of joy and he doesn't give out joy in small sampling sizes. God hits us with joy as he backs up the Brinks truck of it into our life. And that he is our source of joy. Jesus says in John 16, 24, until now you have asked nothing in my name, ask and you will receive that your joy, that your joy may be full, right? And in this passage, Jesus is, is talking about taking your sorrow and turning it into joy. And, and he gives an illustration that some of us can identify more with than others, but all of us have a understanding. He gives the, the picture of a woman giving birth. And in, in the moment of her giving birth, what we see, what, we, what she experiences is pain, suffering, and torment, and a difficult battle. But what comes from that is life. And so Jesus says that in, in our life, here's what we're going to go through. We're going to go through pain. We're going to go through suffering. We're going to go through torment. We're going to go through the difficulty of the battle. We're going to go through all of these moments, and we're going to feel like joy has been removed. But it's building full joy, overflowing joy. And that it's not that it's not there. Jesus asks ask. I want to come like Joel and Dave, thank you for that moment of teaching in that song and Leslie and leading in that song and Dave walking us through that of just coming before the Lord in the name of Jesus asking. I don't feel joy. Have you asked? Have we asked? N number three, joy is beyond the resources of this world. I'm going to read Romans 14, but in this section, Paul is discussing not being a stumbling block for others. And we've, we've looked at this at different points in times a lot recently, and what we walk away from is if there's something that's causing another brother to stumble, then what do we do? We do it more. No, that's not what we do, right? We give it up. We give it up. We don't say, well, it's my right, it's my freedom. We say, no, if it causes a brother to stumble, then it's just not worth it. And I give it up. So Paul writes this in Romans 14, 17. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. So this is what we see. 
That's what we see. God, God's saying, like, this is what this life is about. It's not about the things of this world. It's not about the things that we can do. It's not about the eating. It's not about the drinking. It's not about any of those things. But instead, God says that, that, that it's the joy that comes from God. The kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. So, so are we having the attitude and the positioning and the approach of life that may cause sacrifice, but what it brings for is joy. I read this this week, and I thought it was something that was worth throwing up on the screen and letting you guys see. And it's talking about our, our, our search for joy, our desire for joy, and our longing for joy. And it says this, when we search for joy, in anything or anyone other than God, we do not find our joy, but we may find our idol. I love that. And this week, I found a whole lot of idols in my life. When we, when we search for joy in anything or anyone other than God, we do not find our joy, but we may find our idol. Your job your bank account, your kids, your spouse, your name. When we look for joy in anything other than God, we will never find joy, but we will find our idol. My wife brings me happiness. She was never intended to bring me joy. My kids bring me happiness. They were never intended to bring me joy. You bring me happiness. You were never intended to bring me joy. God is the source of joy. And he uses people. He uses situations. He uses moments. But they in and of themselves are not the source of joy. He is. He is. And lastly, in, in this section... Joy is not found in circumstances. Joy is not found in the source of circumstances. In the book of Acts, at the very beginning, especially the church is booming. People are getting saved. The church is growing. And there's a story that unfolds in Acts chapter 5 where, where the, the apostles um, have been out and declaring the, the name of Jesus and people are getting saved. And the high priests, the religious leaders, they, they hear of this and they have the apostles arrested. But the angel of the Lord comes into the prison cell that night and sets them free with clear instructions. Hey, go back and continue to preach, continue to teach in the name of Jesus. So what you're doing to get thrown in here, go and do that some more. And, and when the religious leaders had found out that they had gotten out of prison, they sent for them and they questioned them. If you got out, why did you start to do what we told you not to do? And Peter answers them, and he says this, and this is kind of in, in my paraphrase. Peter says, because we listen to God, not to you. And he says, in fact, the Messiah you've been waiting for, you murdered. His name's Jesus, and God resurrected him from the dead. And so for political reasons, the religious leaders just decided, well, let's just beat them. Let's beat them. And then they'll listen. 
and then they won't do this anymore. In Acts chapter 5, verse 41, it says, Then they left the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. Right? Let's understand some proper theology here. They weren't rejoicing because of the pain they experienced. They weren't saying, man, I wish you'd hit me a little bit harder right here. This part doesn't, isn't bruised. That wasn't it at all. They're rejoicing because of Jesus, because of the dishonor of the name, because of the faithfulness that had happened. And so if the circumstances we find in our life that we are facing are taking away our joy, then understand we've been looking for joy in all the wrong places. Let's talk practically. 459 doesn't a gallon doesn't make me happy, right? But it doesn't rob my joy. Because if it did, then money would be my source of joy, and then money would be my idol. A bad report from the doctor doesn't make me happy. But it doesn't rob my joy. Because if it did, then my health would be my source of joy and would then therefore be my idol. Losing a loved one doesn't make me happy. It causes me to experience sadness and to mourn and to grieve. But it doesn't rob my joy. Because if it did, then my loved one would be my source of joy and my idol. I apologize, this verse isn't on the screen, but I wanted to include it this morning. It's James 1, 2. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. Count it all joy. All joy. Every part of it. The tears and the sadness and the grieving in the mourning. The celebrating, the happiness. Count it all joy. All joy. Every single part of it. So I want to ask this question this morning, and this is what we're going to look at as, as we wrap up. Two pretty long pieces of scripture, but we're going to draw a couple quick things out of them. What hinders you from living in joy? If, if you're a believer and a follower of Jesus Christ, you've been saved, adopted in the family of God, but you struggling right now with joy. Now, not happiness, because we know that comes and goes but you're struggling with joy. The question is why? And it's a question that I've had to walk through a lot with myself this week. It's a question that I've had to examine within my own life and my own faith through looking at scripture and ask what hinders me and what hinders you from living in joy continuously so that we can be like the apostles who were beaten because they were obedient to the Lord and they rejoiced because they'd been counted worthy. That we could be like Paul who was beaten and put into the bottom of a prison cell and instead of, oh poor pitiful me, sang psalms and hymns and rejoiced because of who Christ is. But I don't see that in my life. 
So what causes that in your and my life? It's, it's sin. It's your sin. It's my sin. What hinders us from living and experiencing in the joy that God has for us is sin. In Psalm 51, so, so, so turn there. We're going to look at that first. David writes this after a pretty monumental moment in his life. He's already previously assaulted Bathsheba. He's found out that she was pregnant. He's had her husband killed. And then Nathan, prophet Nathan, calls him out. Let's watch David's response. Verse 1. Have mercy on me, God. O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against you and you alone have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. So let's begin with this. David knows the depth of his current sinfulness. David doesn't blame a culture of entitlement around him. David doesn't blame if there were others who would step in and prevented him. David doesn't say, well, where was this person and this person and this person? David doesn't say, well, you made me a man and made me this way. David steps in, my sin, my transgression. He understands the depth of his sinfulness and ultimately, in spite of all that has been affected and offended by his sin, who does he say his sin is against? The Lord. Let's keep reading verse 5. David says, Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin my mother conceived me. Behold, you delight in truth in the inward being, and you teach me wisdom in the secret heart. D David knows what helplessness God saved him from. David knows he didn't earn God's love, earn his way to salvation, figure it all out. He knows the helplessness that God saved him from and what God desires from him. He continues on. Purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Verse 12, restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. Then I will teach transgressors your ways and send Sinners will return to you. Deliver me from blood guiltlessness, O God, O God of my salvation. And my tongue will sing aloud of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips and my mouth will declare your praise. For you will not delight in sacrifice or I will give it. You will not be pleased with a burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. O God, you will not despise. Do good to Zion in your good pleasure. Build up the walls of Jerusalem. Then you will delight in right sacrifices and burnt offerings. The whole burnt offering 
offerings, then bulls will be offered on your altar. There's, There's so many things that David packs into these verses. But in the context of what I want us to look at this morning, is we understand that our sin is the joy robber in our life. And so how can that joy be restored? And David gives us a glimpse into it. We begin by seeing repentance. Repentance. What's repentance? What is biblical repentance? What does that look like? What does that mean? Does that mean just like creating a list of things that we've done that we're going to do again and saying, hey, God, my bad? Is that it? No. No, that's not what we see in David. What do we see from Scripture in repentance? Number one, it's recognizing and grieving our sin. Like we don't realize how offensive we are. We don't realize how offensive our sin is. David does. And it's the words that we see. Repentance is, is asking God and God alone to forgive and to restore. The process that God did that we cannot do in ourselves and that we need him to do again graciously for us. And then also it's choosing differently. It's choosing differently of what we were is no longer who we are. And my choice as I move forward are to choose the things of God. Which comes into the second one. Not only do we seek repentance, but we seek obedience from brokenness. The depth of obedience is not found out of religious obligation, but from the perspective of, of, of brokenness. Like, like he, Dave says, for you will not delight in sacrifice, or if I, I, I would give it. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. Oh God, you will not despise. It's not obedience because I have to. It's obedience because I get to. It's obedience that flows from grace. It's obedience that understands forgiveness. It's obedience that understands our sin. In the last, and we'll conclude with this, we jump to the New Testament. Look at John 15. Very popular passage of Scripture. John 15, starting in verse 4. Jesus says, Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I am him, he is he it is that bears much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered and thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. In verse 11, these things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. Last thing we can do, and we probably don't have to throw it up on the screen. You can look at that verse, that passage, and see it. It's what? Abide in Christ. We gotta abide in Christ. Thought about that this this week. 
we talk about what our relationship with Christ looks like, you and I, and I know I say this all the time, and God has checked my heart on it. Let me explain myself for just a moment. And I say, well, man, it's good. I have my time with Jesus every day. Now, let me pause for just a second. I'm not saying waking up and having a quiet time, having a time with Jesus is a bad thing. It's a wonderful thing. It's a great thing. I have it. You need to have it. I'm not saying that spending time in prayer with Jesus, designating and setting across time to commit to do that is a bad thing. That we embrace that as a church and did the 24 hours where we're praying through for, for I think, five weeks that we, that we did that together as a church. It's not a bad thing. It's a wonderful thing. It's a great thing. You need to do it. But if all we have with Jesus is some time that we've set apart during our course of our day, then Jesus becomes a box to be checked and obligation to be fulfilled. Jesus doesn't say, and those who spend a little bit of time with me each morning. No, 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 no. Jesus says, those who abide with me. In, in 1 John, John talks about abiding, and he, he defines it as, as knowing Jesus, not knowing about, but a depth of intimacy of knowing. Carrying with it a, a word to live, to continue, and to remain. And so I want to close and just, just ask you these handful of questions. Number one, do you live with Christ? Or are you just visiting when you need to from time to time? Number two, is your relationship with Christ a continuous relationship? Or is it momentary? Moment by moment when needed. And lastly, when it comes to your relationship with Christ, do you remain in him? Or do we just reach out for him when we need him in that moment? Jesus says, Abide with me, live with me, continue in me, remain in me. And to live in the joy, in the fullness of what God has given. Let's pray. God, we thank you for the joy that you've given we thank you, Lord, for the joy of our salvation. Lord, a joy that's not defined by the difficult, hard, painful circumstances of this world. Lord, a joy that is not based in the resources and the means of this world. But, Lord, joy that comes from you, that you're the source of. Joy that's found and rooted in our salvation, Lord, of who we are in Christ. And so, Lord, we come to you this morning. May we come to you as, as David came to you, broken for our sin, understanding the depth of our situation, in repentance, in brokenness, in obedience. And Lord, abiding in you and in you fully. Jesus, I pray that as we, those of us who are believers, 
this could be the daily reminder of our lives. And Lord, if there's anyone here who's not a believer, and let's be honest, this conversation didn't overly make sense to them. They've been searching for something they haven't found. They've looked for joy all over. And what they find is lacking. Where they can be found this morning in Christ, in Christ alone. So Lord, I pray in the working of your spirit that you will draw their hearts to you. Lord, that they'll respond in brokenness and repentance before you. And that today could be the day of their salvation. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Thanks again for listening to the Willow Ridge Church weekly podcast. We hope that you enjoyed listening to this week's message. If you'd like to learn more about who we are or explore additional resources, visit us online at www.willowridgechurch.com or by searching for Willow Ridge Church on Facebook and Instagram.